Paul, writing in his first epistle to the church at Corinth, gave a personal example for the necessity of discipline in carrying out the work of the kingdom for our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, do you, know not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run, that you may attain it. Every athlete, he says, that has a motivation to win exercises self-control in all things. For what purpose? To win a perishable crown. And I'd like to give you a few examples. That study uh, guide that we're going to, uh, for men's fellowship, there's a portion in there about men who give their all to win a perishable, a perishable crown. I want you to think about, I think his name is Stephen, Curry is his last name, I think Stephen is his first name. And, the, and he's, a, he's a great basketball player, no doubt about that. And he's on winning teams. He's on the winning team, I think, is the Golden State Warriors. In the offseason, can you imagine him six days a week, three hours a day, in the offseason, shooting the hoop? And he has to do 600. He has to count 600. Think of that, 600 before he calls it a quiz. Just think of that discipline. And then how about the greatest, probably the greatest golf player that ever lived, Jack Nicholas, when he was asked, what's the reason for your success? He said, practice, practice, practice. And Wayne Gretzky, probably the greatest hockey player that ever lived, what was, the, what was his success? He said, I did not have abnormal gifts, unusual gifts. He said, but I did one thing. I practiced hard. I practice hard. I practice hard. He said, if once, if you wanna, if if you wanna touch me, he said, just tell, just call attention to how hard I practice. What did they practice for? A perishable crown. Whereas a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Exercise control in all things to win an imperishable crown. So they run, so to speak, with a divine purpose. In James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life that God hath promised to them who love him. In classical Greek, I know it says, he shall give them the crown of life, but in classical Greek, the, the word is Stephanus, and it means victory. It's used the same, that word is used the same, uh, whether it's in sports, civic, uh, it's a, that's the word to choose. Um, it has to do with triumph. And what better word? Uh, there, uh, when the Lord says, Blessed is a man that doeth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life that he gives to them who love him. Because that crown of life is victory over sin, the death, and the grave. Then he goes on to give another illustration from sports. 
He said, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be a castaway. And that uh, Greek word, adakinos, is unworthy, worthless, spurious, as concerning the faith. And in his last epistle before coming under Nero's Acts, written to Timothy, his son in the faith, in the third chapter, he describes what will be going on in the church in the last days, the days that we're living in. He writes, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, <coughs> lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unapproachable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. This truly describes many of the churches in our day giving lip service to the Lord Jesus Christ, but their hearts are far from him, being occupied with the things that are pleasing to self that are passing away. And was that not true of the Pharisees in his day? And that's why he said in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, he said, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. In my last message to you, I spoke about divine instruction for living in 2024, Mark 8, 34 to 38. This morning, I would like to speak about the need for living a disciplined life as our life unfolds in 2024. Our text is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, verses 3 to 14. <clears throat> For the first two verses, our message is in and of themselves, but I will begin reading at verse 1. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us Also, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the majesty of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hand and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put all out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, we need to hear from thee this morning. And the only way we can hear if you enable this unworthy servant to proclaim your word. So by the ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word that we might know that we've heard from God today. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. You may have observed in my reading from the ESV translation that from verses 5 to 9, discipline is used nine times and carries with it the meaning to educate, to instruct, to correct, to chasten. For what purpose? For what purpose is discipline? To conform us to divine truth. That's a purpose, to conform us to divine truth. The first point I'd like to share with you is discipline needed in our conflict with sin. Verses 3 and 4. Consider your trial in the battle with sin in comparison to Christ in his humanity who was tempted at all points that we are yet without sin. Consider how he was looked upon as in the same level as the children born to Mary and Joseph, the son of a carpenter, whose trade was a carpenter, the names he was called, blasphemer, gluttonous, wine-bibber, friends of public and sinners, yes, and a Sabbath-breaker, and other names too. The hounds of Satan were on his heels, all the time. He, the creator of all things, yet in his humanity owned nothing. The poorest of the poor, no home of his own, often sleeping under the stars on the Mount of Olives. And why in Matthew eight twenty 
when someone came running up to him, he says, he says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, you really mean that? You really mean you want to follow me? Well, let me tell you, the foxes have dens, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. His incredible patience in training his disciples. He was a servant of servants, always serving. Matthew 20, 28. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Even as the Lord of servants, when he kneeled to wash his disciples' feet on the night he was betrayed, as recorded in John 13. Think of that. He, the creator, bows to his creature and washes their feet. Remember the text said that we did not resist unto blood. I want you, to, I just want you to grasp what I'm about to say. Is that not the testimony of the Lord Jesus when on that night of his betrayal, he who knew no sin, not even the shadow of sin, the thought of being made sin, brought such trauma into his physical well-being as he cried out to the Father three times that this cup, this judgment of being made sin for sinners that he came to save might pass from him. But then the three times, thy will be done, thy will be done. So great was that trauma that he sweated great drops of blood. As recorded in Luke 22 and 44, he did not cave in to that suffering or that temptation to say no more. Now I'd like to ask you a question. What is your resistance to sin? There's so many kinds of descriptions of sin. Yes, sin is all unrighteousness. Sin is lawlessness. It's, it's the foolishness of uh, uh, the foolishness of thought. The foolishness is sin. Yes, knowing to do good and not doing it is sin. Whatever we do without faith is sin. But, and that's because we still have sin in us. Uh, uh, first, first John one eight says, "If we have sin in us, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." But we also have the Holy Spirit in us to give us victory over sin. Yes, we can have victory over every besetting sin. I don't know what some of your besetting sins is, but I do know this in the culture that we live in. The greatest sin is sexual sin, which is so rampant in the church of our day because we live in a sex-crazed society. Those to whom this epistle was written were not resisting sin with any great effort. Why? Because they were not serious enough about the ugliness of sin that exacted so great a cost upon the Lord Jesus in resisting it, and neither has this generation of professing Christians. Therefore, just as the writer of this epistle was admonishing those in his day to resist sin no matter what the cost. For a text says to resist it on the blood. So it is that in our day we need to reevaluate our attitude towards sin. Our culture has dimmed its ugliness. But conversely has made sin look attractive and desirable. 
Billy Sunday, a professional baseball player of the early years of the last century. He was a good baseball player, but he gave it up to uh, preach the gospel. And he was a good preacher of the gospel. And he described sin as this way. He says, the men in his day were describing it as, were, were looking upon sin as a powder puff. What would he say today if he saw how Christians, how Christians' attitude toward sin is today? I'm sure it'd be a, a, a very condemnatory note. And Billy Graham said this, and I said this before to you, I'm going to say it again. He had a, a very successful crusade. And after that crusade, the reports came up to him and said, is this revival? And Billy said, no, no, no. He said, when there's revival, true revival, there will be a hatred for sin and a real reverence for the majesty and holiness of God. And when we have a greater hatred for sin, then we will guard against the lust of the flesh as the Apostle James warned in his epistle in uh, uh, chapter 1, 14 and 15. Uh, then when it says, when we're tempted, it's because the lust in us. He said, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Then the apostle Peter pleaded with his uh, followers. He said, dearly beloved strangers, please abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Listen to the warning of the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 5. For you may be sure of this for everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It requires discipline to bring the flesh into captivity, which is expressed so well in James 1.12. I quoted before, I'll quote it again. Blessed is a man <coughs> that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. The Lord has promised to them who love him. Blessed. We can say we love the Lord, but the evidence will be when we exercise discipline over the desires of the flesh, always looking upon sin, not, let me pay, not as it pleases the flesh, but, which, but that which is poisonous to our eternal soul. Secondly, I'd like to talk about discipline, the evidence of God's love. We all come into this world with a sin nature, and what is that sin nature that requires discipline? Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that intimacy in marriage is a sin, but the sin nature is passed on by the Father. That is why the Lord Jesus conceived in Mary's womb was not by man, but by the Holy Spirit, and was therefore not tainted by sin. And what is that sin nature? A dislike to be under authority, especially the authority of deity and the elevation of self. 
And Psalm 58, 3, verse, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray from birth speaking lies. You don't have to tell a child to lie. Go look over your lives. Think of all the sinful things that you did that came as naturally as breathing. Now I want to confess something to you. When I was a boy on the farm, my dad would always have a lot of change on the bureau. And from time to time, I would take a nickel, a dime, and I didn't think a thing about it. But now I do. I think how ugly that was. And sometimes he'd have a pack of cigarettes lying there. And sometimes Chesterfield, he smoked Chesterfield. Maybe some of you remember that brand. And sometimes I would steal a cigarette. Now it doesn't look very pretty at all when I think of what I really did. Or my brother, he was uh, uh, with a young man, it was about the teenagers. And uh, my friend, he, his friend had a Model A Ford. And the way they do it, just for kicks, they took him and ran over the principal's lawn to mess it up. Did they do it? No, they just did it for fun. I mention that because there's a lot of things we do that are sinful that we think are fun. It's not fun at all. Think back on the sin to your youth, which required the discipline of your parents and has required your teachers when we received discipline from our parents, which was for our well-being and, and the normal family pursuit of life is evidence of love for the children. In other words, when your parents discipline you, it's evidence that they love you. Yes, sometimes it's out of anger, but it's the discipline that was so necessary as we grow up through the channels of life from the time we were a little baby. When God calls a person, young or old, out of darkness into his marvelous light, there is one goal in mind. What's that goal? To make that person like his son, Jesus Christ. And I can prove it. Matthew, uh, Romans 8, 28. For God worketh all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? For whom he did foreknow. He did predestinate for what purpose? To, for them to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that requires discipline. The Lord is so good in the discipline he renders. He renders to his own to fit the offense. And some of the ways he may discipline, how did he discipline those that abused the Lord's Supper? Some were sick and some he took away. I have experienced discipline many times and I'm so thankful for it. Sometimes it has to do with a, a, a non, a, an unexpected expense. Sometimes sickness. But God has a way of communicating to us in discipline by letting us know that we've offended him. And, to, and, and that's his love. That's his love that he disciplines us so that we can get back on the way that the way that leads to blessing, not the way that leads to judgment.
in Proverbs 13, 24. Whosoever spares the rod hateth his own son. But the father who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Wise, loving parents, before they discipline their children, will take them aside and tell them why they're being disciplined. Their offense becomes the expression of their love for them. Is not what the Lord com- <clears throat> is that not what the Lord communicates? Listen to what the Lord communicates to his children. Listen. Proverbs 11, 12. My son despised not the a discipline, <clears throat> let me try it again. My son despised not the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a son, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Psalm ninety four twelve. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Now listen to the testimony of one who understood his need for discipline. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. And now, and how the Lord's love was real and his, and his discipline. Look at Psalm 119.75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to thy promise unto thy servant. Not only is the Lord disciplined to show his love for his child, but there is another reason. Do you remember how in Revelation 3.14, the Lord charged the church at Laodicea when they said they're rich, they had needed nothing. He said, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, you're wretched. He said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but because you're neither hot or cold, I will, you're lukewarm, I'll cast you out of my mouth. But then he said something very precious. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now look at verse 20, the next very verse, listen to this. And in verse 20, the Lord shows that other reason. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will come into him and he with me. There the reason he disciplines, he wants our fellowship. Isn't that precious? He wants our fellowship. He didn't just save us to take us to heaven. Yes, that, that's important, but he, he wants our fellowship and he can't have it when we're living in sin. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Lord we have. That he goes to that trouble. That's how much he cares for us. The third point, spiritual darkness whom he disciplines. Let us first look at what happens when parents are negligent in disciplining their children. Let us look at the sons of the high priest Eli, as recorded in 1 Samuel 2, 12 and 17. I'm not going to ask you to turn to what they did, the, the sons of Eli. When people came to offer sacrifices, they didn't treat it as a time of worship. Because the offering of sacrifice was, uh, the people offering the sacrifice was to the Lord. And they, they treated it as, uh, as gluttons. They took the best. 
But then, and, uh, uh, then in 222, what else is it? Women would come to the tabernacle door and he would lay with them. That's paramount to a pastor making his church a brothel. That's, what, that's how bad. That's how bad they... How, how'd they get away with that? In 1 Samuel 3.13, God is speaking judgment upon the high priesthood of Eli to Samuel. This verse tells us why Eli, why his sons descended to such wickedness. Now God is speaking to Samuel, uh, who is going to replace Eli. For I have told Eli that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. He knew what they were doing, but he did nothing about it. Look what it said about Samuel's sons. When Israel desired a king, they were appointed judges in Beersheba. Did they walk in the steps of their father? No. They took bribes and turning aside after gain and perverted justice. Could it be that they escaped the necessary discipline in their formative years? It doesn't say. But why would the Holy Spirit include this in the divine record for nothing? King David was a man after God's own heart. Yet in 1 Kings 1, 6, his son Adonijah exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him, which was equivalent to being king. That was the expression of the one who is a king, to have that scenario. Now note, his father David never at any time did anything to displease him. In other words, David never called him to task for wrongdoing. His will was never broken. And this is to parents. I read one time John Wesley asked his father, asked his mother Susanna to give him some counsel regarding, he was about ready to get married. And he said, mother, can you give me some counsel in raising children? She gave him 15 reasons, 15 counsel. But there's one I remembered. She said, John, she said, Break the will of your child at an early age or you will never break it. You parents with children, remember that. Not break his spirit, but break his will at an early age for you'll never break it. That was true in the three illustrations just given. See what happens to children when they're not disciplined? We're those of the Lord. Who are those that the Lord does not discipline? Look at verse 7. This verse looks back to Deuteronomy 8, 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chastens, disciplines his son, so the Lord thy God disciplines you. So the evidence that God loves you as his children as was pointed out in our last point, is that he disciplines them. But verse 8 makes plain when there are those that do not come under the rod of God's discipline, God does not regard them as his children. Let me give you a few examples just from the Old Testament. Psalm 50, verse 17. What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips for you hate discipline? 
and you cast my words behind your back. Jeremiah 12, 2. The Lord was near in their mouth, but far from their heart. Like the Lord said in his day in Matthew 23, 28. There are those who outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. There are those who, because they are free of trial and affliction, think they are in right standing with God. Or there are those who speak with great spiritual talk and appear very spiritual, but never experience God's discipline when they sin and continue in it. Like it says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. There are many who call Jesus Lord, but do, do not obey him. Why in Luke 6, 46? He said, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and not do what I say. You think he doesn't know when we're phonies? The reason I call it spiritual darkness. When one does not experience the Lord's discipline, when he or she goes astray, is found in Matthew 7, 21, 23. The Lord is referring to those who are engaged in religious work. Listen to these words. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is in the kingdom of God. But only those who do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I have cast out demons, I have prophesied, I've done a lot of good work. And then Jesus said, will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Why does he say that? Because they were not his children. And why were they not his children? It's because they were doing these religious deeds, but they were lawless. They, they, never, uh, they never came under his authority. And let me tell you, if you're not his, under his authority, you're not his child. That's the evidence that we have truly repented when we come under his authority. I can prove it. Romans 10.9. Oh my goodness. If thou wilt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When if we confess that he's Lord, that means that he has a right to govern our lives. But I, I'd like to continue that while I can. From 1918, uh, uh, Proverbs 19, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the time is skipping me. Uh, spiritual benefits of discipline. Verses 9 to 11. In verses 9 to 10, there are two comparisons. The reverence and respect that we show to our fathers and the respect that we show to our Lord. And the, the purpose, the whole benefit of discipline to make us partake of his holiness. And what is holiness? Listen to this. Holiness is to be set apart for God, sanctified, as it says in 
Psalm 4.3. But know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. It is consecration and devotion to God and sharing in his purity, abstaining from earthly defilement. And see, the whole goal of discipline is, look at this next verse. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness is conformity to the authority of God, which is conformity to all that God commands or appoints. The righteousness which belongs to God, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. For when we have righteousness, we're right with God, and then we have the peace of God. Dear ones, ponder the path of your feet. Which way are they taking you? Turn not to the right hand or to the left. And remove thy foot from doing that which is evil and brings dishonor to our Lord. I have so much I'd like to share with you, but I don't have time. I I can only tell you this. You're looking at an old, old man that has known the discipline of the Lord. And I can tell you how much I love him for it. I would not be what I am today if the Lord had not disciplined me. That little sin I told you about earlier, I did much bigger sins. And so have you. But remember, we still have sin in us. But when we have the Lord Jesus, we can confess our sins, forsake our sins, and know that we're restored into fellowship. I like to, I'm going to skip a lot. I'm going to go to my last point. Motivation with discipline. Look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. I want you to think of the glorious future for those who fight the good fight of faith. It doesn't say, it says, no one shall see the Lord who, uh, uh, who does not pursue holiness and uh, who, who, as it says, <coughs> peace, peace and holiness. These are evidence that we're, belong to the Lord Jesus. But the reason, uh, that's an, a, a negative approach, but I, 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 I want to talk about, about, I want to talk about this a little bit more. I want you to think what lies ahead for us to see the Lord. What do you think Apostle Paul said? He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. All he could think about was being with Christ. Uh, David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his step all the days of my life. That's what heaven makes heaven so wonderful, because Jesus is there. Think of when you stand before him and you're looking at one who created all the creative work that you enjoyed, all the redemptive work, all that's going to flash in your mind when you look at him and you're going to see his nail prints and the foot on their hands. Just think all these things will pass through your mind when you stand in his presence and think what a majestic, wonderful person he is.
Some of us can relate to the testimony of Psalm 119, 59, and 16. I fall upon my ways, and I turn my feet unto thy testimonies. Yea, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. When God convicts you, respond right away. There is so much to entice to go the easy way, the broad way. But listen to the warning in Proverbs 4.26, what I just started. <clears throat> Ponder the path of your feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Peace. I talk about peace without, pursue peace without which no one shall see the Lord. Listen to these. Isaiah 9.6 For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He made peace through the blood of his cross. He is our peace. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither be, let it be afraid. He is our peace. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18. If possible, for as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. For Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. I don't have time, but I would love to commend them. But the evidence, the evidence that we're children of God is in the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now the application. I was a teenager during the Second World War. And I had the desire to enlist, but I was a year too young. I followed the news of the war rather closely, especially some of the battles that were key in turning the tide of the war in favor of the Allies. Some of those great battles, the Battle Midway that changed the direction of the war in the, uh, in the Far East. The battle of uh, uh, Iwo Jima, when I was in the Marines, they played that movie over and over again. <laughs> the battle of Iwo Jima to psych us up to make us real Marines. And then the battle of the Bulge and, of course, at Normandy. I mention these key battles because our men who fought, it took courage, but it took something else. It took discipline. And we're in a much deadlier war now than what we were then, what they were then. That was a physical war. This is a spiritual war. We were soldiers of the cross or in a different kind of battles, I just said. For the persecuted church or many of our brothers and sisters knowing what it's like to suffer for Jesus' sake. But what we haven't experienced yet, but we need to discipline ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, soldiers of the cross. One day, it will be worth it all. We will see him in all his glory. And praise God, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Behold, what man of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And everyone that hath this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Oh, dear ones, 
with a great multitude in heaven, we will proclaim. Yes, we will proclaim. We will rejoice. We will exalt and give him the glory. And when this truth of future glory awaits the redeemed of every age, isn't a small thing to discipline ourselves in this life that now is our worship in our giving. Let me repeat this. I have lived a long time and I have seen the love of God, the discipline to serve God. Lukewarm, I've seen it go down. Let us revive. Let us be revived in what is real. It's eternal what we're talking about today. It's spiritual. It's not fleshly. If we are the children of God, we are citizens of the kingdom. And let us act like it. Let us live like it. Let us give to glorify him now with all that is in us. Let us be done with spiritual mediocrity. Let us give him, yes, Christ the Lord, service and worship from the heart. And if you're here this morning and have never come to the Lord, the only way a sinner can come to him is in total surrender, in faith believing. And here is his invitation. Come. Come unto me, O ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Come under my authority. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you never come to him that way, come to him. Come to him. He is so wonderful. So wonderful. Our Father and our God, work in each one of our lives, Lord Jesus, that which is necessary. That instead of this dating, this discipline, may we embrace it because it's proof of your love to us. And when we're disciplined, give us the motivation to want to live for thee, to be like thee, in lieu of one day to be with thee forever. For thy name's sake, grant it in Jesus' precious name.